<laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of CLTV at Educator Innovator. It's October 10th, 2017. Uh, we are your hosts, Jacqueline Siegel and Caitlin Berry. Uh, I'm the history coordinator at uh, a private special education school in Manhattan. And I've taught in the classroom and in a one-on-one -on -one setting for the past eight years, both to middle schoolers and high schoolers. And hi, everybody. I am Caitlin Berry, and I currently teach middle school English at a private school in Manhattan. I just came here from LA where I was teaching uh, middle school English and history. And um, I am really excited to be here today to talk about media literacy. We want to make media literacy accessible and easy to integrate into any classroom and today we're going to focus on middle and high school English and social studies classrooms because that is our area and our specialty but before we dive into implementation and activities that you can grab and use right away we wanted to talk briefly about what is media literacy and what is it not so I'm going to take a moment to share my screen and then talk about that for just a second Okay, so what is media literacy? It's a term that's thrown around a lot and people have all sorts of different meanings for it, but the National Association for Media Literacy Education defines it as the ability to access, analyze, evaluate, create, and act using all forms of communication. In its very simplest terms, it builds upon the foundation of traditional literacy and it offers new forms of reading and writing. And that's a lot of words, so I want to break it down a little bit more. I can't move forward on this. Okay, so let's talk first about what is media, the first word in media literacy. Media is the means of communication that can reach or influence a lot of people. And media has changed a lot over the years. So traditionally, when we talked about media, and media literacy has been around for decades, when we talked about it before, we were talking about written and print media like magazines, newspapers and books, audio, radio and music, and then visual would be television and film, maybe video games and advertisements. But since the internet and since social media, it's sort of taken on various forms and media literacy is is still figuring out how to, how to integrate all this stuff into the classroom. So now we have this new world of digital media with YouTube, so short user-generated videos, blogs and websites, podcasts, and then of course the huge world of social media. All that stuff goes into media literacy. So in some ways, media literacy is as big a field as English or social studies. Um, there are two main branches that I think about when I think about media literacy. The first is analysis, and the second is creation. Analysis probably happens in a lot of your classrooms already if you teach humanities or if you teach science and math, probably analyzing things. Um, so analysis is looking closely at various forms of media and asking critical questions about its perspective, its meaning, and its value. This is stuff that you would do to a primary source of history, or you might do to a novel, short story, a text, an English class. So it's sort of the reading half of 
reading and writing, analysis of media. And then on the other hand, you have creation, and that's creating or producing your own media, like making a short film, or interacting with social media, or making a blog post. That's all creating and producing your own media, and that's the writing half of it. Um, and today, we are going to talk about both of these. Uh, Jacqueline is going to share an analysis lesson and creation activity that she does in her history class, and I am going to do the same thing for English with analysis and creation. So I'm going to hand it to you, Jacqueline, and I'll unshare. All right, great. So let me share my screen. Caitlin, can you see that? Um, I can't yet. There we go, perfect. Okay, so the first thing that um, I'm going to talk about is um, activities of analyzing news media and uh, kind of looking at media bias. So uh, just taking a look at this picture, just zoom in a little bit. So this was an article that I shared with the high school class uh, a few years ago. This is during the uh, Democratic primaries. And so um, what, I, what I did with classes, this high school class was we, uh, we took a look at different articles. I removed some telling signs. Uh, we, we talked a lot about types of bias. And then eventually they had to uh, try to guess a couple of things. Where did this article come from? And what type of bias, if any, it had. Um, so if I just show you the actual activities. So there are two levels. So I like to use the lower level for my middle schoolers and um, full articles for my high schoolers. So some things to do. Let's move this so I can see it. <laughs> um, okay. So um, make sure that the students have some background information about different types of biases, different types of media, um, what bias actually means. So for these activities, we went into um, uh, a liberal versus a conservative bias, uh, all the articles and titles that I have done with my classes re related to the, pres the 2016 presidential election. And um, so we had to go into what do those words mean? We also had to identify which um, sources, articles, or TV stations uh, have a liberal or conservative bias. Um, and so for these articles, for this activity, uh, my suggestion is to remove any telling signs of where the article or the title came from. And that way, you know, the kids can analyze it without automatically seeing like, oh, that's Fox News, that's more conservative, or oh, that's MSNBC, that's liberal. Um, and it's really interesting because before we did this activity, the students would say like, oh, I mean, I'm in New York City, so the students are typically more liberal or they think they're more liberal. And so they'll see something from Fox News and they'll say, oh, I don't want to read that. Um, 
but it actually was interesting when you take away the um, the telling signs of where it comes from, and they really have to analyze what it's what the article is talking about, and or the title. You know, they don't have that same reaction. That's uh, which is really interesting and could probably launch a whole other conversation. Um, so throughout the entire process, uh, I ask different questions. Um, you know, what is it about? Who's in it? What uh, viewpoint do you think this is from? Things like that. Um, and then asking the, the students to determine the level of bias. So let's identify, is this a more liberal news source or is this a more conservative news source? You could do this without any political background. You could, you could have it be fact versus opinion. Um, so there's lots of different ways that you could do this activity. And then um, you can match the titles or the articles with news outlets. Uh, so you have them on the board, they can mix and match, or you can have them guess. Um, so I had this activity, actually did this as a teacher professional development. So this was from last February. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, there were four examples of titles. So this is something that I would do with a, I would actually do the high school class. Um, so these are just titles of articles that I found online from different news sources. Um, and so the first one is, here's where Donald Trump gets his news. So we would analyze it. What do you see in that? Is there any negative or positive connotations? Um, it was really interesting, the feedback I got from that one. Number two, Trump approval hits 49% in establishment media polls. So, I mean, this could also go into some vocabulary. Um, what does establishment mean? What the word approval, it's hitting. So that's a positive trajectory. Um, Example three, Trump insists that now more than ever, Americans must stand strong in face of empathy. Again, it's another uh, vocabulary type lesson. If the students don't know what empathy means, that might be hard for them to figure out where that title comes from. And then example four, Trump cabinet choices advance despite Democrats' efforts. So if I were to physically go through this with a class, I would start with the first example. You would, I would ask questions through it, talk about certain words. I'd ask students their viewpoints. Um, I've done this with students and adults, and you know, lots of people in the room have different opinions. And we go through one by one, and then once we're ready, we move on to what they are. So we reveal them one at a time. So um, if I actually clicked on it, it'll bring you to the article. So the first one was from BuzzFeed, second from Breitbart, third from The Onion, and fourth from BBC. So um, if you wanted to extend the uh, activity, you could, you know, go into those, you could read the articles, you could go into what those different news uh, sources are. I mean, they're very different from one another. You can go into the fact that The Onion is a satirical, uh, more of an entertainment news source than news source. Um, so, this is a news analysis, media bias activity that you could do at many different levels. Uh, again, it doesn't have to be um, liberal versus conservative. It doesn't have to be in the current events or politics. 
uh, realm or area. It could be, you know, let's distinguish between fact and fiction and have your kids analyze the news that way. Okay. So the other part that I'm going to talk about is analyzing social media. Uh, I have two social media activities. One is analyzing and one is creating. Um, and so this is just a, you can do this with grades six through 12. Um, it could be in any class. This was specifically a high school history class. Uh, again, during the primaries, we focused a lot on the uh, 2016 election. Um, so basically, what this did was it analyzed specific posts from Twitter. So we were following the different candidates at the time. Um, so there were four questions for each of the uh, tweets that they looked at. So this is something that we're analyzing. So we take a look, okay, so what politician or political group is this tweet from? So some of the answers could be Marco Rubio, students for Rubio, um, things like that. And this is a discussion-based, you know, classes, participatory. So the second question is what did they post about? Uh, kids can have different answers. So um, some of the examples that I've, that I received when I did this in class was, um, meeting uh, voters, you know, getting to know the voters on the campaign trail. Number three was interesting. Who's the target audience? A lot of different answers came up. So again, you could go through this um, and, you know, answer the questions directly. You could also talk more about, so this one, obviously, he posted a picture. So you could say, like, how is he dressed, right? Like, what is that? What impression does that give you? So um, while this is analyzing the tweet, because he used a photo, it's really analyzing photos. And then the last part of this was based on what you see only, would you support this politician? Um, <clears throat> and this, I think, was really hard for the, um, for the students because uh, you know, they're a lot, they're, they have opinions. So, so that's another question for another time. Um, <clears throat> again, we did this, this is just another example using a uh, democratic candidate. So this is similar because it has a picture. Um, we've also used uh, tweets that didn't have any pictures. So it was more analyzing, you know, hashtags or what they wrote. If there was an article attached, you know, we go into like, what is the article about? Why would they include that, that, um, article, things like that. But you can still, a ha you can still ask the, your students these questions and it's just getting them to think critically about, um, posts that they see on Twitter. Um, and it, it could be, you really could do this with any, uh, any tweet, I mean, obviously should be, you know, appropriate for class, but, um, you know, who's tweeting it? What are they posting about? Who do you think the target audience is going into, um, <clears throat> you know, details about the actual tweets, analyzing social media? All right. And so my last one before I hand it off to Caitlin is creating social media. So these are activities that you can do with 
history classes, English classes. Um, this is actually an example of <clears throat> a high school student who worked on a presidential campaign in my class for the Trump campaign. Um, and this was last fall. And this was actually an activity I had them do during Media Literacy Week. There were four campaigns in the class. It was Trump, Clinton, Johnson, and uh, Jill Stein. And so they had to create social media for their candidate. Um, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna have to switch different things. So there are a set of directions. Um, there are three different templates that I found, and this is an actual template. I'm gonna have to uh, switch my screen so you can take a look out of it. And then I had some student work, but basically what the students had to do was, um, I'll just scroll back up so you can see it. They had to create a specific uh, posts based on, um, here, I'm gonna switch it now based on, all right, here it is, okay. So these common propaganda techniques, there were 11. So they had to create 11 posts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So uh, we talked about the different types of propaganda that that they used in um, advertising, uh, commercials, things like that, and also what they actually were posting on social media. So they had to create um, these, create posts based on these techniques. Um, and it was really interesting to see these students really take action. Um, and they, they created some pretty great stuff. And just to show you, the template. So um, this is a template for Instagram. It's not, um, you know, perfect. It doesn't, I think, because Instagram updated since this was created, you know, some of the kids were like, hey, this isn't exactly the same, but it's pretty close. There's also Facebook, there's also Twitter, um, and they're really great templates. Uh, let's see. My last thought is, blown out of my head um, so that's that's mine if Caitlin wants to I have to how do I get out oh there we go okay stop share <laughs> that was awesome Thank you for sharing. I bet your students are, are geniuses because of you. Uh, so Jacqueline focused on news media and analysis and then using social media. I'm gonna focus on uh, another type of media, which is film and television, which is really an older type of media compared to social media. Uh, and I'm gonna talk about it from the perspective of an English teacher and really a, a literature teacher because a lot of middle and high school classes are uh, focused around class novels. So the way that English teachers often integrate film or television is usually if they're doing a class novel, like Macbeth, that's what I'm teaching right now, maybe they'll show a film version of it and then they might talk about some of the choices the director made in regards to editing, 
costumes, uh, music, lights, sound, uh, all that stuff. That is totally media literacy, and that's a really cool way to integrate it. I'm going to talk about a slightly different way to integrate film and TV because I'm here to hopefully teach you something new and useful, uh, but it will still integrate into your class novel unit. So I'm going to share my screen once again. Okay, so this is, um, this is sort of a step-by-step -step way that you can use it in your class, and I'll give you some examples, but I tried to make it, I tried to make it something that almost any English teacher could do and could do within a class period, hopefully not too much prep. So whatever novel or play or text that you're reading together as a class, pick an issue or perspective from that text. I think this works especially well if you're dealing with how certain people or groups are represented. So race, gender, sexuality, religion, ability, disability, those are perspectives and issues that come up in almost every piece of literature that I can think of. Um, and I think that works really well. There are other issues and perspectives you could do too, like if it really had to do with family, then maybe you could focus on family. But I'm gonna talk about groups of people. On your own time, this is, this is the most prep you have to do. Choose four or five clips from TV and film, and I recommend including a mix of stuff that the students know and will recognize and maybe have seen or have seen trailers for, and clips that maybe are older or more obscure and that will be new to them. That's a nice combination because it feels like, oh, I know what's up, but also this is something new. Um, and I think include a mix of harmful or stereotypical representations of the group of people, positive representations, and then mixed representations that sort of are, are interesting and can create conversation. I give the students a really simple note-taking sheet just to guide them through the viewing that we do. And then I often end with an exit ticket just to sort of see what they took away. I show, we show the clips and we discuss in smaller groups. I usually do it more seminar style discussion, but if you have a bigger class, you could show a clip, have the students take notes, and then have them discuss in groups, and then do have a couple students share, share out. Because I do want this to be manageable and take a class period. If you can devote two class periods, that's great too, but I know that teachers have a lot to teach, so you might not have that much time. Um, so this is just a couple books that came to mind, um, and here's some media texts one could think about analyzing. So I picked four books that are commonly taught. I teach eighth grade, so a lot of these are taught seventh, eighth, ninth grade. The Curious Incident of a Dog in the Nighttime um, has a character who has high-functioning autism, so that's a great opportunity to talk about how autism or how disability is represented in the media because that's not talked about very much. So you could watch clips from Rain Man, Big Bang Theory, Sherlock, Parenthood, there are many more. If you're reading Persepolis, which is a really interesting read right now, especially in this political climate, you can talk about how Arabs and Muslims are represented. For example, they may often be represented as uh, terrorists in, like, in, in many, many movies, and that has created a stereotype in itself that's problematic. So you could look at Aladdin, that's sort of a strange portrayal of Arabic people, The Mummy, True Lies, uh, 24, Kingdom of Heaven has a more positive, balanced, nuanced representation. Um, 
And then on this slide, I just go through a couple more possibilities for Macbeth. You can sort of talk about gender and representations of masculinity, and you could look at like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Marilyn Monroe and stuff like that. And then for House on Mango Street, which I'm teaching next, um, you can talk about uh, Latinas and Chicanas, or immigrants in general, or Latin Americans. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about using that as an example, because that, that is the text I'm teaching this year. So the, the four clips that I picked out to teach were from Selena, from Jane the Virgin, from Devious Maids, and from Modern Family. Um, and not all of these are, are Mexican-Americans, like the character in House on Mango Street, um, like Gloria from Modern Family is Colombian. Uh, but these, all these portrayals are sort of interesting to talk about. So I would pick clips, I pick short clips, like 20 seconds to a couple minutes, and I give the students this note-taking sheet. I've done it for various different novels before. Um, usually I'll begin with key terms, and then I'll move into just this very simple note-taking chart. Um, so to look a little bit more closely at it, uh, I want to have key background understandings in case there's anything that the kids need to know. Usually I start with like, what is media? What are we even talking about? I'll always provide a model for note-taking. Um, I teach middle school, so this works really well for them. Maybe you wouldn't need to scaffold or model as much for high school kids. And then space for note-taking and questioning for four or five clips. So I'm going to show you a clip from Modern Family, about 20 seconds. And it's an interesting portrayal of a Latina woman. And this is, this is a clip that kids think is fun. Ay, abuela, es que lo que yo te diga es poco. Esto hubiera sido la locura en Barranquilla. No, es que tú no sabes. Mejor que su padre. Bueno, hasta luego, porque es que ya digo, oye, adiós. Everything okay? Yes, I was telling my grandmother how great was money today. So that was an angry talk. Oh, silly, that was happy talk. I'm beginning to understand why there's so much conflict on your continent. All right. Um... Okay, so that's a great clip because it's 20 seconds, it takes no class time, and there's a lot to say about it. I think I would say Gloria is a mixed representation because she's very likable, she's famous, she's iconic, um, but at the same time, she does portray a, a stereotype. A lot of the characters on Model Family portray likable stereotypes. Um, so I created just a model for the kids. What do they notice? A couple simple observations, and then some questions. And the questions can be very uh, simple clarifying, like, I don't, what is she actually saying? And they can be deeper. Is this a stereotype of a Latina woman? Is this angry passion? Is that something that's a part of it? And this is just to spark a conversation. The point is not to provide answers, but to get kids to start looking at TV that they see every day in a new, more critical way. Um, and then I usually end with an exit ticket that asks questions that are pretty simple which out of the clips we watched, which do you think is the most positive or likable representation? Um, why? why? The why is really important. And out of the clips we watched, what do you think is the most harmful or problematic? And you'll get varied responses because kids respond really differently. And that is my favorite part about this, that we're just asking them to be critical and ask critical questions. We're not saying this is bad and this is good. 
unless it's truly harmful and terrible, and then maybe it's time for you to say that. But in this, in most cases, it's a little bit mixed. Um, so now I'm going to move into the final activity, and this is focused more on creation or production. And it, it, it jumps right off of the previous lesson. So I will say the previous lesson only takes an hour, maybe an hour and a half, depending on the length of your clips. Video production takes much longer. So this is something where maybe you have a week in the middle or at the end of your unit where you want to devote to this. Um, you could probably do it in a two-hour workshop. So if all you get to do is the analysis, amazing. You've made a, a wonderful drop in the bucket of media literacy teaching. But if you move into this, this is great too. Um, so video production. I'm not a filmmaker, and I have the kids use iMovie sometimes, but my favorite thing to use to create a video is Adobe Spark, formerly called Adobe Voice. And so I'll give the students an assignment in which they're supposed to create a video that sort of shows their deeper analysis understanding um, of whatever group we are talking about. So I switched just to mix it up a little bit to autism. Um, and I asked the students to choose three or four characters in TV or film that have autism, or if you're doing who are Latina or who are African American or who are masculine, all of those work. Um, collect images of them. Then they'll move into Adobe Spark, which I'm going to just show you what it looks like in a second. And then they will play around in Adobe Spark to create a video that um, really just persuades audiences to start to think more deeply about media. So I want to show you what it looks like. Um, and we'll see how fast my computer is moving. So you can just search for Adobe Spark. It's spark.adobe.com. Um, and it will ask you to connect to your Google account or create a new account. But I just want to show you how, how easy it is to use. Um, so I'm connecting to my personal Google account right now. It's launching my account or it's not. Okay, I think it's going. Um, and it will launch something that looks like this. Students can create, press the plus button and click plus on video. This is what I've always used and I just think it creates pretty high quality videos with not that much training needed. Like I don't think of myself as having particularly high technical skills, but I think it's pretty easy to use. You give it a title. Then you can click any of these. I'll click show and tell. That just creates an easy template for your students to use. I've done this with 11 year olds um, and they, they didn't need much help. Um, it'll give you a tutorial, but I'm just gonna show you a few things. So you can create text. Uh, and then you can go to a new slide. And you can add an image, you can find photos. So if I wanted to look for Big Bang Theory, it will generate a whole list and maybe I select this photo, it immediately adds it into the video. Um, you can also do icons like film. And you can do a little camera. 
Um, and on top of all these slides, because essentially what it looks like I'm doing is creating a slideshow, you can add music and you can also add audio by clicking the, the microphone, red microphone button. Um, and this is something that I recommend you just let your students explore a little bit after giving them a 10 minute tutorial. But if you give them a little bit of time to work with this, they can create a video that looks pretty professional. Adobe edits it together for you completely. They put it publicly online so students can have an authentic audience. Uh, so let me show you, I, I created this video for, for you guys for this presentation because um, I can't show you student work, but I just want you guys to get a sense of what a video could look like, but students actually do a better job because they're like more charming than I am. So let me just go, um, back into share and show you the video that I created and it's just about a minute and a half. About autism in the media. In this case, media refers mostly to TV and movies. There are many characters with high functioning autism on TV and in film. Sometimes the Asperger's characteristics are as comic relief. For example, Sheldon in Big Bang Theory is the butt of the joke, and I don't think he's ever actually diagnosed during the show. On the other hand, they aren't always just nerds. Sometimes they're badasses. For example, Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy exhibits characteristics of Asperger's by not getting sarcasm. Guardians of the Galaxy is actually praised for its really positive portrayal of a hero who might have autism. Sometimes the show may explicitly draw attention to autism or issues associated with people who have it. The character of Max Braverman in Parenthood is a good example of this. On the other hand, sometimes shows don't really address it at all. Sherlock may exhibit some characteristics of high-functioning autism, but they don't really address it. They make a joke that he's a high-functioning sociopath, which is different. Really, I'm just scratching the surface. There are positive, thoughtful portrayals, there are negative and stereotypical portrayals, and many are both and are mixed. We need to continue this journey of diving into media and examining representations. Uh, okay, did that play okay? Okay, uh, so, that, um, I'll bring you back to my presentation, but that took me about 40 minutes or so, really from start to finish, from finding all the images, from figuring out what I wanted to say and recording it. Students will take longer while they're learning it, but that's like, for me, a pretty short amount of time for a high quality video. Um, so that is why I'm so excited about that as a possibility for teaching media literacy, and really for diving more deeply into an analysis as a unique assessment tool. So I'm very enthusiastic about that. And you can cater and change the assignment for whatever works for you. I like to do analysis videos, but there are many other ways to, to use it. So those are, those are my two activities that I hope will be not too difficult to integrate into your classroom because I know you're all very busy. Um, and we have a few resources as well before we close. Jacqueline? Yeah, just unmuting, unmuting myself. Gotta unmute. <laughs> 
Um, so we, there are tons and tons of resources that you can use. Um, the first one that we have on this list, which I believe we're going to share the PDF or the link with you um, at Educator Innovator, it, it's called Implementing Media Literacy in Your Classroom. And so um, yours truly, myself and Caitlin worked on creating this PDF that talks about, you know, what is media literacy? Maybe you're already implementing it in your classroom and some pretty easy um, and quick guidelines to, to uh, implement all different types of uh, media literacy, including stereotypes, uh, analyzing media, and creating media. Um, there's some other places that we also go to for uh, lessons or resources. Um, uh, there's CML's 25 Media Literacy Lessons. There's uh, this link from Media Education Lab, uh, Assignment Media Literacy. Project Look Sharp has, a, has tons of kits. I've used uh, their Presidential Elections Kit. Surprise, surprise. Um, Frank W. Baker has tons of stuff on his Media Literacy Clearinghouse website. Um, I definitely like using his stuff. It's um, pretty easy to to you know, use in the classroom. It could be um, half of a lesson, a half of a class lesson, or it could be you know a full week. Um, and then Media Smarts in Canada, they have tons of lessons and resources that you can use. Um, if you have any questions, you can contact us. Our emails are right there, um, and that's about it. All right. This has been fun. I, I hope that we have helped or provided something that feels very possible for you to do in your classrooms because I don't, you know, media literacy is not something that has to be a complete curriculum overhaul. It really can be something you do occasionally. And uh, we're both here, Jacqueline and I, because we think it's incredibly important um, and it should not be overlooked because the kids that we teach live in a very media rich world. And although they're digital natives, many of them are not really taking the time to question or analyze the stuff that they encounter every day. So thank you for your time. Yes. <laughs> I can't find the <laughs> closing.